We are into a series called Mosaic, and we started at the beginning of the year, and uh, we are rethinking community. There was a sense we had that the Lord was wanting us to go deeper, go higher, go wider, to more uh, clearly and effectively be the body of Christ. And so we've been looking at a whole number of, of uh, aspects of that and issues. And uh, my, to be honest with you, I, I think uh, it's generated quite a lot of good conversation, but I'm still waiting for a, what I call the snap. I'm still waiting for something to kick in. I, I, I knew that I should teach and we should teach, because I'm not gonna do all the teaching, but I knew we should teach right up till Easter on this. It was so crucial and so fundamental to the new thing that God is doing among us. Uh, and, and there's been lots of good things, don't get me wrong, but I just sense that God is still wanting to do more in us in this whole issue. And so today's message um, is, is, I think, I may be wrong, but I think it's fairly key to all of this. And we're still in, in Colossians, so uh, uh, thank you, James, if you didn't mind putting up that little Colossians text. It's just a simple verse. There is so much in this verse, but uh, let's get straight into it. I want to pray again. Father, uh, Holy Spirit, please just help me to communicate clearly and uh, keep to time. Uh, but more than that, Lord God, may, may I communicate and be effective in all that you have in store for us here. Thank you, Lord, amen. So this verse out of Colossians chapter three, we spent a lot of time in Colossians. There are many places we could go to. There's much teaching in the scriptures about the body of Christ. But we, you know, you have to land on something, and so we've landed on this. And uh, Colossians 3.16 is this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. And I suppose if there was a tension, a question that I want to ask, it's this. And this is one I really want to know the answer to for myself as well as for us as a community. But the question would be this. How do you speak to someone? How do you offer your advice? How do you express care in, in a sticky or difficult area without ruining a friendship? How do you speak to someone without ruining a friendship. Now this, this little passage here uses the word admonish. Now I had to look that one up because I, I thought I knew what it meant. And I wasn't far off, but there was a very, very important nuance of that particular word that I needed to hear. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna save that one to the end. But how do you admonish someone without losing a friendship? You see, in the scriptures, there is this sense, particularly in the church, that it's not just the leadership that brings correction. And, and heaven knows, I don't like being corrected. I, I have a, you know, I, I'm committed to accountability, but when my friends you know, love me enough to speak to me, I, sometimes it rankles a little bit, you know? It's not easy. Anybody else, am I just alone in that? But, oh God, okay, I'm glad I'm talking about this. <laughs> see, this is on the money. And, and to be honest with you, unless we can work out a way of being the body of Christ, of being honest with one another, not just saying the things we want people to hear, but being able to say difficult things to one another, which actually are not by way of criticism, but by way of, of discipling one another, 
Unless we can learn how to do that in the 21st century, we're not gonna become the body, the church, that Jesus wants and needs us to be. It really is a crucial thing. So that's the question I'm asking. How do you speak to, into someone's life without ruining a friendship? Jesus himself, and let's get straight to the nub on this. Jesus taught on this in Matthew 5, and in fact, I've got this little verse here. It'll probably be familiar to you anyway. Sorry, Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5. Do not judge. This is Jesus himself speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, one of the major pillars of the teaching. And it says here, do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the message, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. You know, if there's one piece of scripture that the world seems to know, it seems to be this one. Because the cry of our society, to the church in particular, but to anyone who sets them up as a religious person, is don't judge me. I don't want to be judged by you, you hypocrite. Judgment, hypocrite, it's all there in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not judge one another. You know, don't be forthcoming with your criticism and your judgment and your superior uh, down-the-nose kind of disposition when you're a hypocrite and you've got problems in your own life. Thank you very much. You know, and I, I, I stand here before you as someone who has really mucked this up sometimes. You know, I have, I have friends and uh, uh, there are friends even now with whom I'm having to work hard because I, I didn't admonish well and I judged rather badly. I'm still rebuilding relationship. And this fragments and fractures the body of Christ. So on the one hand, Jesus is saying, don't do it, but there is so much teaching in, in, in the writings of Paul that in the church, we should love one another to be able to speak and encourage one another without burning one another. Does that make sense? Oh, not a little more enthusiastically than that, please. Feeling very insecure. <laughs> nah, I'm not. Great, good. So, okay, we gotta admonish one another, and I, I, you know, let's flip it back to Colossians 3.16, thanks James. You know, here we are, direct command of the body of Christ, that we are to admonish one another. It, it, we spoke on worship a couple of weeks ago because that's one of our highest values in the, in the vineyard, and rightly so. Uh, it's, it seems to be, you know, if we're gonna do this, let's do it in the context of worship, you know, the adoration of God, and I think that's probably a good thing. It clearly is a good thing, otherwise the scripture wouldn't say it was. But actually what I wanna focus on is this little bit, uh, this little bit earlier on here, because I think this is, is a key. This is an interpretive key to what, what Jesus is getting at and what Paul is trying to get at in terms of the quality of life and the quality of relationships and the quality of, of communication within the church. So it begins by saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Y you know, when I was thinking about that, when I first started prepping this series back in J November of last year, I thought, oh great, yep, that's what I need. I, I need something in there about us being a, a community with a bias for the Bible. 
I like that bias for the Bible thing, you know, it's kind of preacher's alliteration. Yeah, you know, we've got to be studiers of God's word and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, that's true. But actually, the more I read and the more I prayed and the more I studied and the more I talked about this to people, I realized that that's actually not what Paul is getting at here. Some versions say, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. The message of Christ, that's helpful. That's a clue for us in, 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 in interpreting this scripture. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. Well, what is the message of Christ? Well, it, it's the gospel, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, it's the gospel. That the core message, not the, you know, the teaching is, is broad and covers pretty well every aspect of life that one could care to imagine, but the message, the, the essential core, the message of Christ is the gospel. And of course, with that, I think we begin to get what I call an interpretive key on what follows in this verse. Because when we start thinking about that this isn't about becoming a Bible geek, and I love Bible geeks. You know, I was teaching one of the essential classes yesterday, did one session, and Ben McNamara, who is a wonderful young man, I don't know if Ben's in here this morning, but Ben McNamara is, is a theology student at um, North London Bible College, or whatever they call it these days, and uh, he was teaching the kingdom of God. And I made a comment about a, a Greek root word, and he came up after me, and he said, what was that passage again? I just want to check that, and he opens up, and he's got a Greek New Testament. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Did I feel inadequate? No. <laughs> well, maybe a little bit. He's only reading it from the flipping Greek. I love Bible geeks. I love it that we have people like that in this church. You know, we are, we're so excited that there is that, that theological thirst. And some of you are doing Vineyard Bible Institute. You know, if we don't bang at the drum enough about that, but that is an online thing which the whole the Vineyard Movement runs, and you can, you can do theology online at your own pace. It's an astounding resource. Check out the National Vineyard, uh, National Vineyard site, and it'll, there'll be a little feed there. So if you want to do some really intense Bible study. You know, I love it that we have that and that desire, and we should have that. We are a Bible-believing church, and we are a, an evangelical church. But here we're talking about the gospel, the message of Christ, it's a gospel of Christ. And as we keep saying, we've been saying it for a year now in this particular way, grace changes everything. Just everyone say that with me. Grace changes everything. Grace, being described C.S. Lewis, I think, coined the phrase, but it might even be earlier than that. Grace is unmerited favor. It means that you are a favorite. You are favored by God for no reason whatsoever, not because you've done anything or achieved anything or look good or have you know, bl blonde hair and blue eyes or whatever it is. It is unmerited, totally undeserved. It is not earned. It is not won. It is not bought. It is not achieved. It is just given, unmerited favor. Grace changes everything. And at the very core of the gospel, the message of Christ, is this message that our salvation and our position before God is a grace position. It's all about him. It's not about us. As I think I said last week, maybe the week before, there is nothing you can do 
that will make God love you more. Let's read that together. I'm sorry, this is a bit like school, but I just really want to get this home. There is nothing you can do that will make God love you more. And equally, there is nothing you can do that will make God love you less. So you, you can't be a real goody, 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 beginning from today until the end of the year, New Year resolution, a bit late for that now, but if you were able to achieve a perfect lifestyle, God would lo- not love you any more at the end of this year than he does at this precise moment. God forbid that it should be the case, but if you were to flee from this place, didn't like something I said or didn't like the coffee on, you rushed out and you went on a killing spree and murdered 17 people in the town center, God forbid, what a horrible thought. God would not love you less. God's love for us is set apart from our behavior and our position and our performance. This is absolutely key to the gospel. Anything other than that, if you have, have sort of aired into a little bit of religion, and by religion, you know, you're doing things to try and get God's attention and please him. If you do that, you've actually departed from the faith. I kid you not. You have actually backslidden because there is only one gospel and the gospel is a gospel of grace. Grace changes everything. Every single one of us here is here as a Christ follower on the basis of Jesus Christ's work upon the cross. Full stop. And what we do in Christ's name is a response to that. An act of worship. A response. I don't want to trivialize it, but you know, I, I love my wife. That's not trivial at all. I love my wife. But um, if she offers to give me a back rub, which she never does, <laughs> and which I'm always asking her for, but if she was one day, you know, maybe at the second coming, <laughs> gave me a back rub, I would probably want to do the washing up in response to that extraordinary, (laughs) extraordinary, generous act of love. Until then, it can stay there piled in the sink. (laughs) No, I'm I'm playing with you, I'm playing with you. But you see what I'm saying here? Everything we do in Christ's name is a response to that which he has already done. It's complete, it's finished. Every one of us is in that place of of needing his salvation. There are three ways to live, and last year we taught a series, actually a wonderful series, I think it's one of the best series we've done in a very long time, uh, based on some teaching by a guy called Tim Keller. We, We shamelessly purloined it and used it, didn't we, Dan? It was just a great series. And we, we taught this last year, but we said basically there are three ways to live. You can live saved by by faith. We're saved by grace, but our response to that is we believe that we're saved by, by grace. We believe that Jesus died for us. It's an extraordinary thing. You know, I could spend a lot of time on this, of course, but I hope that there is a bedrock of teaching that you're being able to 
draw up even as I speak, but you know, we are saved by faith. That's, that's the way we should live. You can be saved by good works. That's the second way. And many Christians, and this is my concern, and I, I say it without accusation, but without having anyone in mind, there are some of you here who will have erred into that. You will have begun to go back into the old ways of religion. You'll call them Christian. You, you will be able to nod enthusiastically when I talk about being saved by faith and saved by grace and all the rest of it. But in reality, the way you're living your Christian life is that you are trying to earn favor with God. There's a sense in you where you don't feel good enough or you feel shame or something like that. So you just work like Bilio thinking that, that you will be able to you know, earn God's love. The moment you get into that, you have erred into religion. You can, change, you can take, peel off the name Christ or Jesus and just put, you know, put a, you know, ganache or any other pagan god you like because that's the deal there. Be good and then you might better yourself in the life to come. You have erred into human religion. It's a faith by works. You are doing it and doing these good works, trying to live your life in a good way in order to earn favor with God. It's wrong. It's heresy. It is not the Christian faith. And then there's a, the third one, which is you just don't need saving. Either you're an atheist, fair enough, you just don't see the point of it at all. Or, and there's a subtle little nuance here, a lot of Christians, people who call themselves Christians, actually don't believe they need saving because you've always been a nice person. You've, you've not actually done anything bad. You've always been compliant. You've always done your best. You've always tried to be a good neighbor. So there's a fundamental problem there. You, you've actually, you actually think you're all right. And the trouble with that, very often that then leads into the second of these things, that you start working and, and you think you're adding merit, you're adding favor, that God loves you more because you were all right anyway, but now you're even better. You know, this is a disastrous wreck of a religion that we cannot afford creep, let creep in among us. We are all, and this is a hard word, the scripture says, not my words, the scripture says that we start as enemies of God. Not just neutral, not just sort of, oh, he's a nice bloke, you know. We actually start, not in some gray area in the middle, but in darkness. We are called out of darkness into light. That is our position before Christ rescues us. It's very important that we understand this. I, I, I was shocked by that revelation, that teaching in my early days, but now I, I can say, because I've understood more about the grace of God for me, that, that I was once an enemy of Christ. So what? I'm a son now. Now this is a crucial, central teaching. This is the message of Christ, that we are saved by faith in the grace of God. Christ's work upon the cross. That's it. Now, let's hold that thought, please. Hold that thought. Let's go back to that Colossians 3.16, please. Uh, 
So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the message of Christ, let the gospel of Christ, this gospel of grace, that we are all sinners. We were all once enemies of God. But now we are saved. And we are more than saved and tolerated. We are beloved children. His smile is upon us. His joy breaks out among us. That's what we are in reality, in, return, in eternity, and, and are now, that because of him. But we were enemies. We were opposed to. And we were in darkness to the things of the kingdom. If we hold that thought, then we come on to this next thing. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. You see, I think as I've reflected upon 30 years and more of being a Christian, and I think about those difficult relationships, some of them are still a bit sticky, as I said earlier on, where I have thought, taken it upon myself to teach and admonish someone, I've come with a, uh, maybe not intentionally, but sometimes intentionally, if I'm brutally honest, I've come with an air of superiority. I'm further down the track than you are. I'm more mature. I've seen it before. Listen to me. Now watch my lips. Nobody wants to be talked to in that way. I don't want to be talked to in that way. Do you want to be talked to in that way? Of course not. We're into that Matthew 7 thing. Do not judge one another. But this word admonish is interesting. And as I said, I, I felt I needed to do a little homework on this. And so I did, I did a number of things. And then I came across this one little paragraph. I'm going to read it because I don't want to muck it up out of a theological dictionary. There's a lot about it in here. But it says here, it says, when we examine the passages, we sense that admonishing is a ministry calling for much warmth and closeness. Much warmth and closeness. There is no hint of a distant judgmentalism or of criticism launched from some height of supposed superiority. You see, if the word of Christ is dwelling in us richly, if we know that we are here by grace and grace alone, then we come with a certain humility, don't we? Not superiority. And it goes on to say, Paul's admonitions were stimulated by a deep love for young believers. His love was so deep that his admonitions were often accompanied by tears. I love that. Checked it out in the scriptures. It's true. His heart was broken by the fact that he knew what he had once been, a persecutor of the church. He had sent people to their deaths believing that he was doing the right thing. Persecutor of the church. Then Jesus had saved him, and he lived his life in response to the mercy that was shown him. He accomplished extraordinary things. Probably the greatest Christian mind we've ever had, certainly one of the most effective uh, church planters the world has ever seen, and a super apostle if ever there was one. But if he was here, and by his spirit, believe it or not, he is, he would have said, it was all a thank you. 
It was all just a big thank you, Chris. Okay, so I had some intellect and I had a bit of this and a bit of that, but it, I just laid it out. I just poured it out before God as a thank you for what he had done for me. You see, he was utterly broken by the fact that he realized he'd been an enemy. And so in those occasions when he realized that as a leader of the church, as an apostle, as a church planter, that he had to bring admonition, he did it with incredible tenderness and humility, treading, as it were, on eggshells, knowing that he himself was the worst of sinners, and that's his phrase, not mine. You see, if we could be a community where we could speak to our friends, when we could actually say to them with honesty and integrity, but the utmost humility. You know, I, I, I hesitate to say this, but um, and please don't take this wrong, because I know I, this is so like me, but I think you may have spoken a little harshly to, to Fred in the home group the other night. I know you well, please take this the right way. But I, I think you, I, I, forgive me for saying it, but I, I think you may need to go and repair that relationship. And if that was received, not with a, what, what? Who do you think you, I thought you were my friend. If I want anything my friends, I want them to stand by me. You've got to see it my way or you ain't my friend. That's the kind of reaction that so often we click into, a kind of super defensiveness. That's what we see going on in society all around us. But that we're called to be different. We are called to rethink community. We are called to love one another deeply. We are called to have the message, the gospel of Christ, dwell in us first and foremost. Consider yourself. Forget about the other guy. And out of that, live a life of love and grace and humility towards others as a response to the grace that has already shown you. And when we're in that place, then we can go to another and say, oh, I hate doing this kind of thing, but, but Mike, Fred, Joanne, whatever, I, uh, because I love you, because I care for you, and because we've been friends such a long time, I need to say to you, I think you spoke harshly to Sansa. See, that builds community, it builds trust. Accountability is, is no longer a word we bandy around agreeing that we're all into accountability, but actually we hate it because it just makes us feel bad. We could build something here. The Spirit of God could build something among us that would be so counterculture, it would change the world. So, rethinking community. Let me just read that little verse once again. 316. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you worship, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. God bless you guys. Let's have the worship team come up. Let's just pray. Shall we all stand?
Now, lest I forget, there may be some of you who, quite frankly, uh, and I say this with love, not with tears, maybe later, but there may be some of you that actually need to come forward and do some business this morning. Maybe you started well, but you've, you've slipped into a gospel of works. You're just doing your best to earn merit with Jesus. For some of you, you may actually realize that you've never been a Christian in your life. You've always been doing this religion thing. Well, you need to repent and, and ask God to forgive you. And your salvation and your position before Christ needs to be rooted in the fact that he's died for you. You may simply never really thought about Christianity, but you want to become a Christian today. Any or all of those, after the blessing, just come to my right, your left, and we'll pray for you. But let's just, let's just pray now. Father, we thank you for this message, this, this wonderful gospel, where even the best of us fall short of the glory of God. And so we abandon our good works. We abandon our, our passion for self-righteousness. And we throw ourselves on your mercy and this gospel of grace won for us by Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And we would be true ministers of the gospel, nothing less. We would be good news and lovers of the body, lovers of you, and that we would minister Christ and be Christ to one another. And as we do that, we might honorably bear the name of the body of Christ here on earth. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.